This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. My guest has a new book. It's called Vectors, and it's an interesting read. The Honorable Thomas Modley is the CEO of Bellarock Ventures. Prior to that, he served as the 33rd Undersecretary of the Navy and for five months, the Acting Secretary of the United States Navy. He is a Naval Academy graduate, a Naval aviator, and he also earned an MBA with honors from the Harvard Business School. Welcome, Mr. Secretary. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. You know, one of the hallmarks of your tenure at the Department of the Navy was your frequent, open, and active communications. I mean, I listened to that stuff or read that stuff as it came out a couple of years ago. You were communicating with nearly one million people in the Department of the Navy, and that's what we're talking about today. It's a large part of your book. What is a vector or what was a vector, and why did you think that was important? Well, thank you for the question. And um, a vector for me, one of the things that I realized just through my time in both government and in industry and watching uh, large organizations was how important it was for senior leaders to communicate frequently up and down the chain of command uh, so that people understood the direction of the organization and where it was headed. When I was named acting secretary, uh, when uh, Secretary Spencer was was relieved of his duties in the fall of 2019, I just made it a commitment that I wanted to ensure that I was communicating our priorities. There was about a year left in the administration, and I wanted to be very clear with the entire organization of the Navy, which included all the enlisted uh, and uh, active duty sailors and Marines, the 225,000 or so civilians, and actually beyond that, just that broad ecosystem of people that followed the Navy and industry so that they understood what our priorities were and what we were trying to do. And um, so that's the reason I came up with the vector. We thought about this, my staff and I talked about this form of communication, and I was very, very adamant that I wanted to make sure that I did this every single week and that we had a name for it. And so we thought about bearing as a possible name, but uh, I realized that a bit Bearing just really tells you where you are in a point of time. It doesn't really tell you where you should be headed. So a vector has both a magnitude and a direction. And so that became the name. And once we decided we were going to do that, I was very, very clear with everybody that uh, it was up to them to make sure that I had these things written by Wednesday so that we could get them out by Friday every week. And so that was the, that's what we did. And um, it turned out to be a pretty effective um, means of communication. And frankly, when I run into people, uh, who I never met, who were actually on active duty or whatever in the Navy when I was uh, the acting secretary, almost invariably people will tell me how much they appreciated uh, the vectors every week. I appreciate that also. Again, I listen to them. It's kind of interesting that you're using math to, uh, to, to talk about a communication style, both direction and weight. T- tell me this, you know, on a weekly basis, did you did you know what you were going to say down the road, or or is this something that kind of you and your staff came together with? These things emerged um, as the weeks progressed, and frankly, that's what the book's about. Um, the first five chapters of the book talk about my time as the undersecretary, and they're very thematic, and they go through 
the the different initiatives that I was trying to push and the reasons why as the undersecretary. And uh, chapter five then talks about all the big changes that happened there towards the very end of my tenure as the undersecretary with with both Secretary Mattis leaving and then uh, Admiral Moran's nomination to be the CNO being withdrawn and then Secretary Spencer's firing and how so much of so much changed so quickly. And then I had 19 weeks as the Secretary of the Navy, and I decided that the rest of the book should just go week by week about those 19 weeks, because at the end of every single one of those weeks, including the last one, I wrote a vector. And so as you read the book, you find that I was inspired by things that happened during the course of that week. But I did decide to create a pattern, a sort of rotational pattern of what I wanted to talk about with the vectors. And they rotated between these themes of gray hulls, gray matter, and gray zones. And um, this was something I talked about to, um, generally speaking, they sort of defined what my priorities were as the uh, as the secretary. The gray hulls issue was really about force structure and weapon systems and things like that. And so uh, the, I think the very first one I wrote about was about that, was about force structure. And then gray matter was about intellectual and moral development and ethical development of our forces. And then the third sort of theme that I rotated through was this gray zone theme, which is really not as sexy as it sounds. It's not really talking about sort of gray zone operations, but it's the stuff that happens behind the scenes, the financial management, the IT management, the digital modernization of the force. So those are the sort of three rotational themes. And as it turns out, I stayed pretty consistent to that rotation based on things that were happening during the course of the week. Let's focus on that gray zone idea, Mr. Secretary, because quite frankly, we're talking, the audience here is is, uh, midshipmen and faculty and staff at the Naval Academy. We don't often hear all that stuff going on in the background. What, can you can you expand on that a little bit in terms of you know you're you're taking a typical young person and showing him or her all the stuff in the background that doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's I I agree it doesn't. I mean, we're always I think we're always enamored by all the sexy stuff and, and, you know, Hollywood helps to, to embellish that as well. You know, you have movies like Top Gun and others that talk about all the sexy stuff that happens on the front lines and, and, and that's great. And that's, you know, we have amazing forces, but the Navy itself is a, probably the largest, most complex industrial organization in the world, which means there are all sorts of things happening behind the scenes with respect to managing the supply chains, the the manufacturing processes that we use in conjunction with our contractors, the the financial management, understanding where the money's going, making moves with that money over the course of the year. These are all really, really critical things that the Navy could not do, the sexy stuff, unless all that stuff works properly. And quite frankly, it doesn't work that well. When you compare it to a a modern uh, industrial organization of this era, it's lagged behind substantially with respect to systems, financial management, et cetera. And it was one of the things that I was really trying to push um, with with respect to my initiatives as the under and then carrying those on when I became the acting secretary. Let's talk about the impact of that messaging to junior officers, to JOs. What should they have and maybe going forward what should they do when they hear those kind of messages and what i really mean by that is yes there's a lot of there are a lot of cogs and wheels and gears going on just should they pay attention to that or should they focus on what's directly in front of them be it 
you know, coming into port or taking care of people or what have you. What, what's, what's the balance they should have between thinking about these larger things that you're talking about, which I think is great, and thinking about what they have to do right in front of them? I think you can make it too complicated if you, if you try. Um, everyone takes an oath, and that oath is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And that's, the, that's what their primary focus should be. And then how they define how they do that is can be very personal. Organizational inertia that wants to keep doing things the same way. And so I think that you have to um, find that balance where you can uh, survive in your job, but also continue to push against the status quo to, to make things better. And uh, that's really what that's really the, the primary message. And I think in the final vector, I talk about that is when people tell you, well, this is the way we do things in the Navy, you should always kind of smile and say, okay, well, how can we do that better? Um, and I think that's that's the job and the mission of everybody. I love that comment. Let me ask you about, and again, for JOs, you know, so you and your team had to work through a lot of issues on a weekly basis. I mean, you were doing tactical and strategic things, but how were you able to kind of take a little bit of time out of your week and focus on that message and then communicating that message out? I think it's because I, I believe that it was the most important thing that I was doing, to be honest with you. I felt that communications from the senior level and ensuring that what I was trying to push the Navy to think about and to do in the Marine Corps as well, that that was, that was thoroughly communicated. So, you know, we made that commitment that I would do that. And frankly, I wrote those vectors myself because I, you know, I would get some input on maybe some historical data from, uh, from my team, but they needed to be personal messages and I wanted them to be from me and I wanted them to be fun and I wanted people to look forward to reading them. And so uh, that was the, that was the principal way that we sort of got through it. I felt it was part of, it was sort of like the capstone of a course, you know, the week, the week was all the coursework. And then the vector was basically the capstone of everything that happened wrapped into a message uh, that I thought would be, be valuable for, for the fleet. So music is an important part of the things you cite in the book. Why, why is that so important? Well, you know, it's interesting. I wrote the, when I wrote the book, I wrote the last two chapters first and uh, those were the most fresh in my mind. They they dealt with the, my final two weeks in office and the crisis on the Teddy Roosevelt and everything that happened there. And I actually wrote it as a, as a long-form article that was titled The 25 Questions I Was Never Asked About the COVID Crisis on the Teddy Roosevelt, um, because a lot of questions were never asked or answered. Uh, there were a lot of people jumping to conclusions, and uh, a lot of that was media-driven and political narrative driven. And, and, um, and so that was unfortunate. So I wrote those two, I wrote that first and really couldn't get it published. No one was really interested in publishing it. You know, it was campaign season in the fall of 2020. And, you know, they were looking for different types of spin on from former administration people, you know, mostly they were looking for negative things about the president, which I was not interested in doing. It's just not what my book's about or what I want people to take from my time there. So I put it down and then someone suggested that I write an entire memoir about the time that I was there. And I, you know, I had these two chapters. I said, okay, I'll just build it around that. And then I came up with the structure. But as I was, as I outlined the book, I thought, you know, how do I start this off uh, with something that I think will resonate with people, particularly with young people. And so um, I thought about using the song lyrics from music that I enjoyed. And, you know, of course I'm trying to appeal to people from this generation and my children all say, well, yeah, dad, that's a great idea, but all those songs are like 30 years old. But there, there was, it was music that was important to me. 
as I was growing up, uh, when I was a midshipman, I, I'll never forget uh, when we were plebes, the very first symbol of freedom that we got was our ability to buy our first stereos. And so we used to listen to music all the time. It was such an important part of our time there at the academy. So it's just something that's always carried on with me. And as I started looking looking to my music catalog, I found that there were all these songs that had lyrics that were like the perfect um, subjects of each individual chapter. So I actually was just going to do it with a couple. Um, and then I thought, I thought, well, wait a minute, these all fit. I can I can find something for every one of these chapters. So I literally sat down one night and picked out the lyrics, entitled the chapters, and then wrote the book. So uh, that's how it uh, that's how it sort of helped inspire me to to chronicle that two and a half years. Yeah, you know, I remember that also. I remember my first stereo, my first act of freedom at the Naval Academy was hooking up a clock radio to a big speaker. But I remember we were able to actually buy stereos at the mid-store. What was your first stereo? Well, yes, I remember my first stereo. I bought it at the midshipman store. There was a whole section, a separate room at the mid-store with all these stereos. And of course, as a plebe, you're going in there and just fantasizing about which one you're going to finally buy. And there was a Sansui uh, receiver. It was a digital receiver with a digital tuner on it, and uh, which was very unique <laughs> for the time. And so I bought that. And it was just a great way. Honestly, it was also a really great way to get to know people at the academy, you know, gather in, in certain people's rooms and listen to music. And so um, I hope there's something that's replaced that at the academy in terms of uh, that type of bonding around something uh, that was external to the academy. But to me, it was really, really important and um, has always been a big part of, of my life. That's a very cool blast from the past. I forgot all about that stuff, but you're right. I remember sitting around in folks' rooms listening to their, you know, their portfolio and, you know, vice versa. Vectors is a great read, especially the way you actually put it up there. The vectors, those those weekly weekly communications, did they accomplish what you set out to achieve? Uh, time will tell on that one, Michael. I don't know. Um, they were not meant for the moment. Um, they were meant to inspire people across the organization to think differently about their jobs and to think differently about the Navy and the future. And so time will tell whether or not any of that stuff resonated. Um, it's part of the reason I wrote the book, hoping to sort of document those all in one place that, uh, so people can refer to them and perhaps be inspired by them or perhaps not. But that's that's something that I, I really, I don't think we'll ever really be able to know. Um, but I will say that I'm extremely gratified when I run into folks uh, that served with me during that time who I may or may not have met who say, come up to me and say, Oh, sir, vector 14. That was a great one or vector seven. And they'll quote something from it. And, uh, you never really expect that to happen, but it certainly, um, uh, makes me happy when, when someone, when I know that something that I wrote resonated with somebody and maybe they take that lesson and, uh, they have an opportunity to, to make a change in the Navy for the better. Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us at Radio Stockdale. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 